Several days ago, when President Trump was asked about the Chinese military base over in Cuba, he revealed his plan, which would be to give China 48 hours to either shut down the base or experience 100% tariffs on all their goods coming into the U.S. Here's specifically what President Trump said during the interview with Reuters. Quote, I'd give them 48 hours to get out. And if they didn't get out, I would charge them a 100% tariff on everything they sell to the United States. And they'd be gone within two days. They would be gone within one hour. Now, at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, hold on. There's a Chinese military base over in Cuba, just 90 miles off the coast of Florida. And the answer is that yes, there is a base. However, at the moment, it is only a spy base used to eavesdrop on American military communications. However, there's an active effort being made by the Chinese Communist Party to convert this spy base into a military base that would house actual Chinese soldiers. And furthermore, this is not just a small isolated incident. Instead, this Chinese-Cuban military alliance is actually part of a Chinese Communist Party master plan called Project 141. However, before we dive in, let me back up for a quick moment and set the stage for you properly regarding how we actually got to this point. And of course, I will mention that if you appreciate content like this, well, then I do hope you take a quick moment to smash those like and subscribe buttons, which will quite literally force the YouTube algorithm to share this content and this information out to ever more people. Now, to start with, this whole Chinese-Cuban plot was first exposed in a bombshell report published by the Wall Street Journal. The report was titled, Cuba to host secret Chinese spy base focusing on U.S., with the subhead being Beijing agrees to pay Havana several billion dollars for eavesdropping facility. And in this report, it laid out how the Chinese are negotiating with Cuban communist officials to set up a large spying facility reminiscent of the Cold War. Here's what the article stated, quote, China and Cuba have reached a secret agreement for China to establish an electronic eavesdropping facility on the island in a brash new geopolitical challenge by Beijing to the U.S., according to U.S. officials familiar with highly classified intelligence. An eavesdropping facility in Cuba, roughly 100 miles from Florida, would allow Chinese intelligence services to scoop up electronic communications throughout the southeastern U.S., where many military bases are located, and monitor U.S. ship traffic. Officials familiar with the matter said that China has agreed to pay cash-strapped Cuba several billion dollars to allow it to build the eavesdropping station and that the two countries have reached an agreement in principle. Now, these are shocking developments. However, when they were first brought to light, the Biden administration denied that this was true. In fact, when they were first asked about it, Mr. Patrick Ryder, who was a spokesperson for the U.S. Pentagon, he said the following, quote, I can tell you based on the information we have that this is not accurate that we are not aware of China and Cuba developing a new type of spy station. In terms of that particular report, no, it's not accurate. However, just two short days later, the White House completely reversed course. And they not only confirmed the accuracy of those negotiations, but also they said that there has been a spy base in Cuba since at least 2019. In a statement, here's what they wrote, quote, This is an ongoing issue and not a new development. The Chinese government will keep trying to enhance its presence in Cuba, and we will keep working to disrupt it. This is if nothing else, an amazing 180-degree turn. Think about it. On Thursday, the federal government denied that any of this was true. But then, just two short days later on Saturday, they released a statement saying that not only is it true, but that actually this has been going on since at least 2019. And then they pinned the blame on President Trump. Quote, The new White House statement said the U.S. has taken diplomatic and other steps to quote-unquote slow down the Chinese government in Cuba and around the world having deemed that the Trump administration had made insufficient progress in stemming the initiative. Now, regardless of who's actually at fault, in practical terms, this revelation means that China and Cuba have jointly been operating four different eavesdropping stations across the island, 
listening in and intercepting American communications since at least 2019. And because of its proximity to Tampa Bay, well, those communications could very well have included important military communications. Here's the Wall Street Journal, quote, Using Cuba, roughly 100 miles off the Florida coast as a base, could provide eavesdropping access to U.S. military, commercial, and other communications in the southeast region, where there are dozens of U.S. military bases, as well as the monitoring of military and commercial traffic. The U.S. military's headquarters for U.S. Central Command, which oversees the Middle East and parts of Central and South Asia, and U.S. Special Operations Command are both in Tampa, Florida. U.S. Southern Command is based in Miami. Furthermore, besides these spy bases, it appears that the Chinese Communist Party is looking to expand these operations into full military bases, wherein they could house Chinese troops, again, just 100 miles off the coast of the U.S., And this is not an isolated incident, because what they're doing over in Cuba is actually part of a Chinese communist initiative called Project 141. This is a plan that the Chinese military is working to enact, which involves this, quote, building at least five overseas military bases and 100 logistics support bases by 2030. Essentially, the Chinese military is looking to set up shop all across the world. And besides Cuba, other Project 141 sites include a Chinese naval outpost over in Cambodia, a Chinese military facility over in the United Arab Emirates, which the U.S. State Department was actually able to put a pause on through backroom negotiations. Then there's a Chinese base over in Djibouti on the Horn of Africa. And, of course, you now have the base over in Cuba, which the Chinese communists are attempting to expand into a full military base. And so, with all these different developments, I'm reminded of a quote from Mr. Mark Twain. Quote, History never repeats itself, but it does rhyme. And along that line, There appear to be many similarities, many rhymes, between what's happening now to what was happening in the late 1950s and 1960s. For instance, we have an extremely politically divided nation. The threat of nuclear war is once again on the table. We have a Kennedy running for president. And now we have one of our biggest geopolitical adversaries setting up shop over in Cuba. I guess the only thing we're missing is the modern-day equivalent of the Bay of Pigs invasion, although I'm sure the CIA is cooking something up right now. And in fact, along that line, this congressional letter right here was sent to the director of the CIA demanding answers on what the U.S. currently knows about this Chinese-Cuban military base, as well as what the U.S. federal government is doing about it. Specifically, this bipartisan letter was written jointly by Senator Rob Menendez, the Democrat chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, as well as Congressman Michael McCall, the Republican chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And here is part of what the letter reads. Quote, We write to express our alarm about recent reports that the Cuban regime and the People's Republic of China, PRC, have colluded to establish a deeply concerning military and intelligence partnership less than 100 miles from our shores. Congress and the American public deserve clarity about the national security implications of this direct provocation by our adversaries and the concrete steps the administration plans to take in response. We specifically request that the State Department and the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, provide a classified briefing to our committees regarding the following questions. And then they list out 12 concrete questions, including things like what the infrastructure looks like for this Cuban base, how long the Chinese have had this partnership with Cuba, what actions the administration has been taking behind the scenes to mitigate the threat, and so on and so forth. Some of the questions get quite specific. Now, the deadline for response... Sorry, is it raining money? Or rather, I should say that this is fake money being printed into oblivion by those geniuses over in Washington, D.C. And so before they completely obliterate your life savings, what I recommend you do is to convert that fake money into real money, which is physical gold and silver. And the best company to use is the sponsor of today's episode, American Hartford Gold. 
who also happens to be my own personal gold and silver bullion dealer. Now, American Hartford Gold is one of the best companies in the game. Besides myself, they have thousands of other five-star ratings across the country. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They ship quickly, directly to your doorstep. Their product listings are awesome. They're stacked with great options of gold and silver bullion and coins. And best of all, they have amazing customer service. When you pick up the phone and call them, you feel good because not only do they have friendly staff, but they're a patriotic company that actually sponsors a program like ours so you feel good knowing you support a company that supports the truth getting out into the wider American audience. And so calling them up is a no-brainer. But best of all, if you tell them that Roman sent you, they will throw in up to $5,000 worth of free silver with your first purchase. So giving them a call is a real no-brainer. So hit them up. It's 866-242-2352. That's 866 866- 242-2352, or you can simply text the word Roman, R-O-M-A-N, Roman, to 65532. Roman to 65532. Of course, all their details will be down in the description box below. And now let's head on back to the studio. And the deadline for the Biden administration to get back to these members of Congress is July 14th, 2023, which is exactly two days from now. Although if I was a member of Congress, I would not hold my breath waiting for the director of the CIA to get back to me regarding these questions. And actually, I would love to know your thoughts. Do you think that the director of the CIA will actually respond to these questions by Friday? And also, what do you make of the Biden administration denying the existence of this Chinese spy base only to then turn around two days later and not only confirm its existence, but then also to blame the Trump administration for not doing enough to stop it? Do you think that this is just a political move? I'd love to know your thoughts. Please leave them in the comments section below. I'll be reading them later tonight as well as well into the week. And also, if you'd like to go deeper into any of my research notes for today's episode, I'll throw all those links down into the description box below this video for you to peruse at your own leisure if you're the type of person that likes to get deeper into the weeds. And then lastly, there is something else worth mentioning since we're on the general topic of China's Project 141. Because you see, while most of the public mainstream dialogue here in America revolves around arguing over minutia, such as whether men can legally enter women's bathrooms or not. While we're discussing that, the Chinese Communist Party has put into place and has been executing on a 100-year plan to destroy America, of which this Cuban base is just a tiny, tiny component. And in order to expose this plan in its entirety, we here at the Epoch Times publish a full-length documentary called The Final War. It's a two and a half hour long documentary detailing exactly what this 100 year long plan is, as well as what we can do to counter it. Here's a trailer for that documentary. The American people are standing on the edge of a cliff. I'm a father. Like every dad, I want to see my kids grow and prosper. And I'm afraid for their future. This is the most ambitious regime in history. The Epic Times investigation team had studied the CCP for years. But this time, what we uncovered was yielding evidence beyond our imagination. Hide our strength and bide our time. Yes, we're in World War Three now. We are in a world war with the Chinese Communist Party without realizing it. The new Chinese military is the only one being developed anywhere in the world today 
that is specifically configured to fight the United States of America. China's strategic goal is to make sure that the U.S. has four enemies, and one of them must be a terrorist group. It is terrible that CCP has gotten so far along in this 100-year plan, but they've gotten really close to succeeding. Prepare to live in a world where you can be arrested for watching this documentary. Destroying the free world. And your life, your happiness, and your children's future and a new generation of Americans will be trained to obey the CCP. We must live, you must die. This is straight out of the communist playbook. We are giving up our life's blood so that the Chinese Communist Party can survive and thrive. If you'd like to check out that awesome documentary, the link is right there at the very top of the description box below. Just click on that link and you can head on over to Epic TV and watch it right away. Again, the link is right there at the top of the description box below. I hope you check it out. And then until next time, I'm your host, Roman from the Epic Times. Stay informed. Most importantly, stay free. Gloria Alvarez, here she's dressed like a Soviet apparatchik, is a viral influencer. Esta es la primera fase. She educates people about the failures of socialism. Here she tells the Spanish legislature. Nada es gratis. Nothing is free. This group liked that. But in Latin America, where she's from, leftists like these people dressed in orange sometimes stop her from speaking. They don't like that Alvarez says things like... Socialism is responsible for 100 million deaths. Alvarez was once a Stossel TV fellow, where she did this video. Where has socialism ever worked? Nowhere. This video got 15 million views. And now... You're running for president of your country? I am. I'm running for president of Guatemala. Guatemala is one of Latin America's poorer countries. It veers between crony capitalism and socialism. What she's seen makes her want to warn people about socialism. You're teaching millennials socialism? Yes. This came out uh, after uh, a survey where they said that every 10 of every 10 uh, millennials, eight of them would support socialism. But then when they were asked to define or describe socialism, none of them could. So I grabbed a Soviet hat that I bought in St. Petersburg, and I, I put a Che Guevara sticker with Mickey Mouse ears, and I started explaining Marxism and communism and socialism from its very beginnings until its current days in Latin America. And the basic premise was that like when Marx was around, there was no psychology. We didn't know that we are wired to have self-esteem and self-interest. So it's a, a obsolete idea that has unfortunately killed millions of people. And yeah, it's one of the videos, although it's 26 minutes, and they say that millennials don't like long content. This one got a lot of views. How do you know about socialism? 
Well, I studied in a very libertarian university, Francisco Marroquin, and one thing that they do is actually teaching socialism and communism, and they make you read Marx and Engels and all the struggles that were happening in the 19th century with the Industrial Revolution, and I think that this is what is lacking in most uh, national universities. People push for socialism because they don't study it. They don't know its history. They don't know uh, its massive failures. Young people in America like socialism, but it's bigger in Latin America. Yeah, it's the constant in Latin America. We have like 50 shades of socialism, right? You have extreme socialism in countries like Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba, and then you have less worse cases, but that are also dramatic, especially when you talk about massive inflation like Argentina or Brazil or Mexico. Moderate socialism like Honduras or Guatemala, but we're all part of that same mentality that the government has these magical powers in order to control the economy, tell you how to live your life, and definitely not let you be free because you're too dumb or too poor in order to be free and responsible of your own life. And people see the effects. They see the inflation. Mm -hmm. They see property being taken. But they keep voting for it. Yeah, it's like a Stockholm syndrome. You know, everywhere you go in Latin America, you have massive protests all of the time. Uh, unions protesting, the education system protesting, the health system protesting all of the time. But when you all go and you ask people who should take care of the health, who should take care of education, of football, of arts, of whatever, they always answer the government. It's like uh, constantly complaining about corruption, but then the solution is more government. So how are you going to not have corruption if you leave everything in the hands of the government? Unfortunately, Definitely, what we're seeing is the Latin Americanization of the rest of the world. Because when you look at Europe or you look at the United States, they are becoming more like us. The circus that we have been used to for decades, now you see it here. Like things like, you know, the, the riots in the capital <laughs> or what is going on in Europe. Those things are... Like, we're used to them because we are developing countries, but it is sad to see how more developed countries are also falling in this trap. I would think people would see that chaos. They'd want to move the other way. And some of them do. I, in fact, 60 million Latin Americans have voted with their feet, and they live in the United States. And in cases like my country, they are responsible for the number one income of dollars that we have back home. Remittances sustain our country. People in the United States sending money back to Guatemala. Yeah. That's the number one dollar income that we have. So this proves that we don't need governments to take care of our poor people. If there is freedom, if there is private property, if there is rule of law, if there is an atmosphere where you can thrive, then Latin Americans do thrive. I do not believe in those theories that say that because we have better weather or because we are an inferior race or whatever. I just think that whenever there is freedom and rule of law, people thrive. And this is what we're seeing. Venezuelans don't stay in Venezuela. You don't see Hondurans moving to neighboring Nicaragua, which is more socialist. They come to the United States. And they prosper when they do. They do, a lot. And then they sustain the ones that are left behind. And, and it seems to me we have like two different Latin Americas at the same time. The moochers and the looters that Anne Rand so well defined in Atlas Shrugged, they are the ones that want to keep 
Latin America in socialism, in protectionism, in markets that are not, you know, open. And then there are people that struggle to get out of this reality and they start thriving and working abroad and helping the people back home to have a life. The moochers and the looters. Mm -hmm. That's harsh. It is, but it's, it's true. In your video, you say expropriations that are still an everyday thing in Latin America. Yeah. Government seizes property every day? Almost every day. In cases like Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, it's an everyday thing. They had to abandon their farm in Nicaragua because they protested against Ortega's plans to take their land. And then they come up always with this confusing loss where... For example, the mining industry, the hydroelectric industry uh, are never secure because any day the president can say, well, there's this new law and we're going to seize some of your production. So when you don't have certainty, it's really hard to invest. You gave a speech to a local Spanish government where you talked about free stuff, free education. You said nothing is free. I wish that there were free stuff. I wish that there were trees where schools and hospitals will just, you know, rise out of nothing. But if you're going to pay people for what they do, there needs to be an economy that runs in order to uh, have supply and demand. And it's, it's incredible how governments in Latin America are always promising free stuff when every cent that the government has is because someone else produced it and was forced to pay it into taxes. So the rich will pay. Unfortunately, the rich always have these agreements with the governments where they uh, evade taxes. And then you have massive informal economies when the middle class is always the one paying more taxes. The rich, the very rich can slime out of these rules. They do, yeah. Talk about some of your popular TikTok videos. What's wrong with us? Are we stupid? We have Stockholm Syndrome? We want to live in misery? Yeah, I, I ask these questions rhetorically like Socrates did uh, back in the time of the Greeks because maybe when you question people why they keep doing what they're doing, they can reflect. I think that not only you have to, to show them that freedom works, it's also asking them the honest question, why do people keep doing what doesn't work? And not only socialists, not only is the left wing, it's also the right wing. Oppositions are so crappy in Latin America that then socialists get back into power. We've seen this from 2015 until today. Macri in Argentina, Duque in Colombia, Peña Nieto in Mexico, Perez Molina in Guatemala. Horrible right wing uh, that doesn't work because they don't push for free markets. Molina, when running for office, proposed good things like legalizing drugs. But once in office, he took bribes and conspired to help his friends. Drug reform never happened. They use and manipulate people with some of the libertarian ideas when they're in campaign. But once they go into office, they raise taxes, they continue with protectionism. They don't do any of the true libertarian reforms that should be needed in order to have rule of law and free markets. 
Cubans warn Venezuelans about Hugo Chavez? They did. They did in 1988, and the Venezuelans would laugh at them. And they would be like, beware, this is how Fidel started. And they would be like, no, Chavez is going to be different. And then Colombians say the same about Petro, having the Venezuelans, you know, right next door. And they were like, beware, Petro sounds like Chavez. And we always say, no, 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 this is not going to happen here, until it does. And it was the same with the Soviet Union. So they see the refugees from Venezuela. Yeah escape to Colombia, yeah. and the Colombians vote for socialism. Yes, yes. It's, in, it's insane. It is insane. Socialism has a good sales agent. That is the problem. They hate free markets, but they have the best marketing ever. Talk about this video of you. You're in Guatemala. There are Marxist protesters hosting Chavez's brother. Oh, yeah. They're bringing Hugo Chavez's brother to the National University, San Carlos University, USAC, which I pay with my taxes. And I'm like, okay, so let's let's get you a voice inside of this conference. And in the minute that we got there, these students that act like, you know, like a Guatemalan KKK because they disguise themselves, they came out and they say, you're not allowed to talk. And I was like, why not? I pay this university with my taxes. You're hosting the brother of a dictator and an assassin. So it's only fair that there are the two sides of the story. Unfortunately, they didn't let us in. They're kind of like Antifa in the United States. Yep. The cancel culture is always uh, from that side. And that's that's sad because it's like, well, if, if you're in the right side of history, what are you afraid of? Para echar a los políticos capitalistas y por un gobierno de la izquierda. These kind of conferences are multiplying all over Latin America because this is the thing with socialism of the 21st century. They have so much money through drug dealing, the oil of Venezuela, that they do massive propaganda in the rest of the countries to spread lies. In Mexico, they've just elected a big, almost socialist. Mexico has elected leftist candidate Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador as its next president. Doubled the minimum wage. Is he a socialist? He's a socialist, but now we have a new breed of socialism because after the disaster of Venezuela, nobody really dares to go just like one day with their finger and be like, seize this, expropriate that. Expropriate, expropriate. They do it in a more um, subtle way, way, and this is what is happening in Mexico. For example, they banned the airport, which was one of the most important investment deals for Mexico eh, in the next 50 years. But this guy is not as extreme as Hugo Chavez was. And that's why people say, well, this is not socialism, but it is. You already don't have uh, free markets in Latin America. And then guys like this come and they just make it worse. Chile was the success story of Latin America. Privatized its social security. It had a relatively free market. And yet there are protests all the time. Yeah. Protesters targeted not just the fair hike and the education policy, but the whole neoliberal system and its impact on health care, rent, utilities, pensions. Not only protests, they want to go all the way like the Cuban model. They want to go all the way Marxist. The way I explain it is that you cannot enforce free markets through a dictatorship. Unfortunately, in Chile... Augusto Pinochet tried to do that. Milton Friedman, a free market economist from the University of Chicago, met with Pinochet. The Chicago boys played a major role in designing and implementing the economic reforms. 
Following their advice, Chile's dictator cut tariffs and taxes. He privatized state industries and social security. Chile prospered. When Pinochet took over, Chile was poorer than the rest of Latin America. Adopting free markets made Chile dramatically richer. Chile is by all odds the the best success story in Latin America today. However, Pinochet was also a vicious dictator. His cruelty allowed leftists to smear economic freedom as something awful. But it was Pinochet who was awful, not economic freedom. Markets, by letting people vote with our dollars, fight tyrants and central planners. In one of the fastest growing economies in Latin America, Chileans are more affluent than at any time in their history. Freedom works. That's why Gloria Alvarez keeps making these videos. Do the educational work and the philosophical work that it takes into understanding why freedom is important. And I think that the example of Chile is very similar to the United States. If you don't keep educating new generations in the philosophical aspect of why individual freedoms are sacred, eventually you will have a generation with material wealth that forgets the importance of these values. And then they go out and say, let's have socialism. I don't get it. They can see it. Look at Uruguay over there. Look at Argentina. Look, horrors at Venezuela. They're not saying we want that, but they think they can get it without the bad stuff? Exactly. Always says, this time is going to work. It didn't work in Cuba because Fidel got corrupted. It didn't work in Venezuela because Chavez died. It didn't work in Brazil because they uh, incarcerated Lula, and now Lula is back in place. And it's always, let's try it with the new guy. The new guy is going to do it better. And it doesn't. It, it is what uh, George Orwell explained in Animal Farm. From now on, I'll protect your interests. And I'll make your decisions. The pigs become worse than the humans. One of the most clear examples has been Spain with Pablo Iglesias. Fist in the air, fighting for the downtrodden. Their socialist leader. And in the moment that he got more and more power, he bought a mansion. The new 250 square meter home, swimming pool and guest house, adding up to a total property value of 600,000 euros. And when his followers see that, they always say, well, yeah, okay, but it's a little house. There's always this justifying the socialist leader when they start living in contradictions. Because when socialism happens and it collapses, and as Margaret Thatcher say, they run out of other people's money, they don't move to Cuba or Nicaragua or North Korea. They go to Miami. They do shopping in New York. They move to Paris, like the daughter of Hugo Chavez. And when people see these contradictions, it's like nothing happens. It's really frustrating. I noticed that uh, Bernie Sanders, socialist, has three houses. Yeah. Socialists always love their luxuries. All throughout history, you can see that. Rolex in the Che Guevara, big houses, yachts with Fidel Castro. This popular new president of Chile. 35-year-old Gabriel Boric will become the new president of Chile. Wants to abolish the successful private pension funds, mm -hmm. make public transport free, universal health care free, raise taxes on the rich, end student debt. These are popular ideas here, too.
Yeah, they're they're popular everywhere. It doesn't matter that they don't work. They sound beautiful and people like beautiful. That that's the thing with socialism. It's it's like a beautiful iceberg, right? In an iceberg you see the tip and it's all about brotherhood and free stuff and we're all going to get along and empathy, but in the depths of that iceberg below the the sea level is where the misery and the genocide and the injustice and the exiles happen and nobody seems to see it. Whereas the capitalist or libertarian iceberg, it sounds horrible in the tip. It's all about selfishness and greed and individualism and capitalism and all these buzzwords that people hate, but it's in its depth that progress and freedom and tolerance and, you know, thriving economies actually happen, right? So we're competing against a very unfair marketing because nobody studies the depth of of, of the history and lessons that economics give us. Chilean voters rejected the proposed new constitution. They said no to what would have been one of the most progressive constitutions in the world. In Chile, the people did vote against the new socialist constitution. Yes, by a bit. <laughs> because most countries in Latin America are divided into people who want to thrive, the motors of the world, like Anne Rand would call them, the Howard Rourke's, the Dagny Taggart's, the, um, the, the, the pushers of the world versus the moochers and the looters. And sometimes I say in Latin America, listen, it's going to be impossible to save our countries. If you look at our political map, we're always going from extreme left to mediocre right wing, and it's just 50 shades of socialism. So maybe we're never going to be able to save Mexico or Uruguay or Argentina, but maybe we can, you know, ask for a new territory where the people that are fed up with this mediocre right wing and, you know, horrible left can live in peace with actual free markets. I think that that's even more possible than just expecting a country not to be in this uh, horrible pendulum. Your country has been sort of in the middle. Yeah, I mean, when you have uh, this extreme socialism, anything can see as freedom. <laughs> but the, the sad thing of Guatemala is that it follows Marxist logics in its health system, in its education system, in its rule of law. Unfortunately, the one and only task that the government should have, security and justice, is the least funded one. For every quetzal, that's our dollar, that we pay in taxes, only two cents go to security and justice. And the result of this is that 98% of the crimes are never solved. Uh, our jails and prisons are universities for thieves. Um, you have, of course, judges that are always bribed. And 98% of the national budget is spent on bureaucracy, useless bureaucracy. So when you don't have a government doing its job and you have massive bureaucracy stealing, it is really hard to have rule of law and free markets implemented. This is the case of Guatemala. And the saddest part of it is that we have had right-wing governments a military, a comedian, a doctor that have only made things worse. So imagine having like three Donald Trumps in a row in, in the United States. How are you going to tell people not to go to the other extreme of socialism? I mean, I empathize with that when I see the mediocrity of the right wing in Latin America. And I cannot only blame the success of socialism. It's also the mediocrity of the populist right wing. But your presidential campaign is all social issues like decriminalized surrogate motherhood. 
Absolutely, but in a free market. I won't ask anybody to use their taxes in order to fund programs for surrogacy. Why is it important to decriminalize surrogacy? Well, when you look at a country like Guatemala, where there's such poverty, malnourishment, uh, we have one of the highest uh, indexes of malnourishment and abandoned children. Why is Guatemala poor? And how can we have different markets that are not controlled by the oligarchs that hate free markets and love their protectionisms and their privileges? And thinking of what those markets could be in order for people to step out of poverty, well, your first vehicle to step out of poverty is, of course, your body. So what can a woman do with her body in order to uh, acquire wealth? One of those options is surrogacy. Which is not legal in Guatemala. It's not legal. People in America say it's wrong. Heritage Foundation, surrogacy harms women and children. In Britain, The Guardian, all surrogacy is exploitation. Well, the thing with freedom, and especially when you're competing against utopias, because socialism is a utopia, right? They promise you heaven on earth. But you're also competing against this new conservative extreme right-wing utopia that there was a better past somewhere in the 50s. So when you're competing against two utopias and you come with freedom, people are like, yeah, but convince me. Convince me that your solution is better. And what I say to people is, listen, freedom is not perfection. All that freedom implies is that nobody else make decisions for you, that you are the own agent of your life and that we are going to treat you as the adult that you are, not as a children that is, that a kid that is incapable of really taking care of yourself. This is what freedom means. And people don't like freedom. They like their populist messiah promising them bullshit because then it doesn't happen. You know, what the populist messiah promises you never happens. Free stuff, uh, a life without effort, happiness forever. So what I am offering here is uh, an alternative based in reality. But it is hard because people like their utopias. And you want to legalize psychedelics. Yes. Mushrooms. Ayahuasca. People have had bad trips. Yeah. I know that there are risks, but the more that something is transparent and the more that you have information, the better decisions that you can make. Guatemala, because of its uh, geographical position in the planet and its amazing nature, is already a house, a natural house for all these plant medicines that are demonstrating amazing results for people with PTSD, obesity, obsessive compulsive disorders, depression, suicidal thoughts. They grow all of their herbs to create their local medicine. So I was thinking, imagine our country could become the number one or at least in the top five safe havens for the world for alternative medicine. Let's open new industries that can make our country thrive. But you believe in freedom. You don't want to legalize other drugs. Someday, other Guatemalans could see that legalizing drugs is the better way because the war on drugs is a complete failure. But I think if we, if we tackle first plant medicine, it's going to be easier for a super conservative country to understand its benefits. You want to legalize sex work, prostitution. Yes, because yes. it's already happening in Guatemala. And unfortunately, women are uh, exploited and enslaved by their pimps in horrible ways. Prostitutes are not uh, safe 
anywhere in the country. If you legalize prostitution, you have a chance of making them their main characters of their own industry, and they can call the shots worldwide if you legalize it, because the difference is your will. If, if you voluntarily, as an adult, want to have uh, consensual relations with somebody, why should a government uh, forbid that? And it is easier when something is transparent and legal to tackle the things that are not. What's the reaction been to your campaign? It's been really good, especially throughout uh, among young people. For years, I always received a lot of hate uh, from socialists to conservatives. And this campaign... How do you receive the hate? Just comments on social media? Social media, yeah. A lot of harassment and comments. And this campaign, in my postings, 95% is uh, positive comments. There's a movement toward your ideas. Yeah. But how old are you? I am 38. To run for president in Guatemala, the rule says you got to be 40. You got to be 40 and you have to have a political party. And I don't have neither. And I am not interested in having the so political party. So presidential campaign is bullshit. It is bullshit. But it's, it's, it's less bullshit than the bullshit presented by the 32 candidates and the 32 political parties that they are not proposing anything. So one of my uh, dreams with this campaign is for people to compare. How come this crazy woman that cannot run for president is telling me concretely her 15 proposals, whereas all these candidates that are currently running are not telling me anything. So who is the bullshitter? And what I am looking for with this campaign is to get invited to a presidential debate. And if you were in the debate? I would confront all the candidates with their lack of proposals. When you messaged me on Twitter, you didn't say that you couldn't be president. I say it in the last bit of the video. Uh, because, you know, it, this is like a, a, a movie happening and, and I, I wanted to do the trailer. But you know what is uh, also very interesting? Most Guatemalans before my campaign didn't even know that 40 years old was required or that you needed to have a political party. So only making people knowing that is a big difference and a big change. Because now I have Guatemala saying, oh, my God, I didn't know that that was uh, a thing. In the United States, you would be eligible. Yeah, because here is 35, right? And independent candidacies are legal already. So Guatemala has a lot of dumb rules. Yes, it does. More than 70,000, to be uh, exact. That, of course, nobody reads. How are you going to read 70,000 laws? It's ridiculous. Gloria Alvarez, good luck to you. Thank you very much, John. I'm encouraged that people like Gloria Alvarez just get it when it comes to freedom. That's why I'm also happy to announce that Stossel TV now has an official Stossel Fellows program. If you'd like to try out making a video for us, doing on-camera interviews like Gloria did, click that button. Thank <laughs> you.